Last week, uh, we, we asked the question, what would make someone go through the bother, go through the, the uh, up and down expectation of unwrapping a gift that maybe was wrapped in duct tape or worse, wrapped in zip ties or wrapped in chains that would require the person to, to have to go to the giver to get a key to unlock it. People wrap gifts in the most strange things. The answer to the question of what would make someone be willing to go through all of this to get to what's in that wrapping is a trust of the giver, an anticipation that this gift must be something good because the giver of this gift loves me. The giver of this gift has my best interest in mind. God is the giver of unimaginable gifts that usually comes in unexpected wrapping. The giver of unimaginable gifts that usually comes in unexpected wrapping. There's been a trend lately of of people wrapping gifts in a way that makes them think that it's one thing and it actually turns out to be something else. If you notice, once this gift is unwrapped, there at the bottom is those really expensive chocolate candies. I don't remember what they're called. Ferrero Rocher, there you go. It's something French. Uh, but behind it, it actually ends up being a, a laptop computer. The person thought they were getting a drill, of course. And then uh, you have this one that the parents uh, apparently wrapped the presents looking like origami animals. The other one, unless it's a mobster, they're probably hoping that it's not uh, it, actually the dead body that it looks like it's wrapped to look like. So this is a trend, I guess, unexpected wrapping. Wondering what the gift is on the inside of it. Jesus certainly is God's unimaginable gift. He wrapped his unimaginable gift of salvation made possible in Jesus. And our Savior was wrapped unexpectedly in a vulnerable little baby who became a bold preacher of the truth and died to save us. This morning we learned from an unexpected experience of Mary and Joseph that they have with a man named Simeon in the temple in Jerusalem. So we read in Luke 2, starting in verse 22, And when the time came, For their purification, according to the law of Moses, that is, the purification both of of baby Jesus and of Mary, uh, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, speaking of Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you may understand this, but, but uh, the fact that Mary and Joseph brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons to be offered as a sacrifice at Mary's and Jesus' purification according to the law of Moses This points to the fact that Jesus was born into a very poor family. Because there was a whole range 
for this sacrifice of offerings that could be made from a pure spotless lamb all the way down to simple birds. And those simple birds were designated for the poor to offer in this specific instance. Jesus was born into a poor family. This is not what you expect for the king of kings. So continuing on, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or consolement of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in to him, in, in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, speaking of Simeon, took him in, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon speaks of a, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. In other words, everyone who's not a Jew. And glory for God's people, Israel. Understand that Israel was intended to be God's light, God's truth bearer to the rest of the world. You can read in Psalm 98 where it says, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The purpose of God's love being shown to Israel was so that the ends of the earth would see his love. We're told in Isaiah 49, I will make you a light for the nations, God speaking to Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This was one of God's major purposes for Israel. So we continue on with our passage with Mary and Joseph's uh, reaction to this, we read, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So this was Jesus' being presented in the temple. But you have here a picture from 1948. This is Prince Charles at his baptism in Buckingham Palace. He's heir to the throne of England, and the caption in, of this picture is, All Eyes on the Baby as it ran in newspapers around the world in December of 1948. He's gazed on by his royal family. As I mentioned, the whole world knew 
that the next heir to the throne of England, of the United Kingdom, the empire of Britain, had been born. He was baptized there in Buckingham Palace, which is what the Church of England does. But you notice the church came to him. The, the bishop, the archbishop, I'm sure, came to him. And the, the red carpet was rolled out for his appearing. Certainly, the prince of peace, the one who would be, bring salvation to the world, would merit at least the same degree of recognition, right? But he came in unexpected wrapping, as God's unimaginable gifts usually do. And I present to you, as I said, that most of God's unimaginable gifts also come in unexpected wrapping. I want to prepare you today to receive God's perfect provision wrapped in God's perfect timing. Receive God's perfect provision wrapped in God's perfect timing. We read in verses 25 through 26, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon waited for uh, his whole life for for what's called the consolation of Israel as countless Old Testament saints before him waited for the same and died with their faith intact, that even though they didn't see it, it would still take place. One of the many traditional Jewish prayers is, Lord, may I see the consolation of Israel. Now, think of consolation as coming from the verb console, consolement, comforting of Israel. According to the Old Testament, Israel would be judged for their sin and then consoled by the Lord. Consoled, as we see here, with the presenting of their Messiah. Isaiah foretold this as a part of his ministry to Israel. As he says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, console. All who mourn. You might recall that this is what Jesus reads in the synagogue, presenting himself. Isaiah also writes in Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has, is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, console Israel. Simeon had waited for the consolation, the consolement of Israel. And led by the Holy Spirit, Simeon is surprisingly okay with it being time for his death. Notice Simeon doesn't say, Lord, thank you that I finally see the Messiah. But could I ask also that 
Maybe I wouldn't die. That would be great. No, he knows. This means it's time for you to go, Simeon. But he's not bothered by that, is he? We read in verse 27 and following, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the, the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Notice something awesome here. Simeon experienced more than he expected. He experienced more than God promised. Or as Matthew Henry says, it was promised him that he should have a sight of Christ, but more is performed than was promised. He has him in his arms. And he called Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. God kept his promise. And Simeon could now depart in peace. The word depart in the original language here has multiple meanings. And each of them tells us of something about the death of a follower of Christ. In some passages, it it means to release a prisoner or to untie a ship and set sail or to take down a tent or to unyoke a beast of burden. You see, death only frees the saint from the burdens of this life and leads to us, us to eternal blessings. I've talked with many of you about your death. I've talked with some of your friends about their death before their passing away. The most common concern that is shared is what will it feel like? And I can tell you that from my experience of sitting with them during or after their death, visiting with family, it is one of peace for God's saints. That is the most common experience. I believe that this is because a a saint of God, one who is a follower of Christ, who knows Christ as their Savior, is looking forward to what is waiting for them. You know, I remember reading about a bridge in Minnesota that collapsed in the middle of rush hour. I read in an article this week, it says, reminding me of this, shortly after 6 p.m. on August 1st, 2007, The Interstate 35 West Bridge over the Mississippi River near downtown Minneapolis was loaded with rush hour traffic creeping through an ongoing construction project. Without warning, the bridge collapsed, taking with it 111 vehicles. Surprisingly, only 13 people died and 145 people were injured. How many people 
were on I-35 frustrated with the traffic, that it was taking them so long to get home from work, and they were just minutes from this bridge when it collapsed. How many had worked late because they had so many deadlines and they heard the news come through the office and they sat in their office thinking, that's the way I take home every day. An unimaginable gift in unexpected wrapping. How many of those 13 that died were followers of Christ who entered immediately into their father's arms. And every little thing that they'd been worried about were dispelled, just dissolved in that moment. I hope that throughout the year, you can receive God's perfect provision wrapped in God's perfect timing. If you know Christ as your Savior, like Simeon, your faith in the steadfast love of God should mean looking forward to the coming of your Savior. And you can look forward to seeing Jesus, even though it will mean your death, very likely. You'll experience far more than just seeing your Savior at that moment. You'll be thrilled to be able to embrace Him and to be embraced by Him if you know him as your savior. Secondly, I want to challenge you here this morning. Receive God's deep wisdom wrapped even in deep pain. It says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He talks about a sign that is opposed. Jesus' ministry was full of signs. And this is using the same term that John describes so many of Jesus' miracles as signs. One writer says, mankind's opposition to the true Jesus is a sign to all of us that he is God's Messiah. Or as Warren Wiersbe says, instead of admiring him, the people attacked him and spoke against him. His birth was a miracle, yet they slandered it. They said his miracles were done in the power of Satan and that his character was questionable. They slandered his death and lied about his resurrection. End quote. God's saving wisdom came with the deep pain, defining whether a person is in or out. I think specifically of the pain of the exclusivity of salvation. It is a narrow way to salvation, folks. Few are those who find it, Scripture tells us. And that narrow way is only by receiving Christ as our only Savior. And trusting Him alone, His work, His person, His work for our salvation. A person's response to Christ defines their relationship with God as to whether God is their judge 
or our Heavenly Father. All of Israel waited for their Messiah, and his coming was the ultimate dividing line between families. Or as Matthew Henry also says, it is true, Christ shall be a blessing to Israel, but there are those in Israel whom he has appointed for the fall of, who will be prejudiced and enraged against him and offended and those and whose sin and ruin will be aggravated by the revelation of Jesus Christ many who will exact poison to themselves out of the balm of Gilead and split their souls on the rock of salvation to whom these precious this precious foundation stone will become a stone of stumble in quote Our culture continues to try to avoid the dividing line of Christ's coming. To avoid what Christmas is really about. The coming of the Messiah who is wrapped in the unexpected wrapping of division. I remember a quote from a cheesy Christmas movie that I watched this year. The heroine of the movie says, you know, Christmas is more than about baking cookies and eating candy. I can agree with that. She goes on, it's about people getting together and supporting one another. Eh. I mean, that's good and all. That should be there. But it's about Jesus. And Jesus brought division. That doesn't mean we should bring division. But Jesus brought a dividing line between those who know him and those who don't. Sometimes the exclusivity of the gospel gets in the way of the family fun. Because as I mentioned, Scripture tells us, broad is the way that leads to death. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. And finding it means recognizing my sins, which separate me from God, were laid on Christ. And Christ paid their penalty. And Christ's righteousness is offered to me. And I can recognize that he paid my penalty, and I can receive his righteousness. And just as Christ knows God as his Father, so can I. And I can enter into God's presence in full confidence, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. Jesus' statement is made in John 3.36. It's not quoted in many Hallmark movies. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know, I was reminded as I was preparing for Christmas Eve that last year's Christmas Eve, we had to cancel it. I had to make one of these goofy videos of me sitting in front of my fireplace. I am so glad to be done with that. And then this Christmas Eve, Kelly and I had a stomach bug. And we couldn't even come out for it. It's like, man, 
you know, this is like the year of canceling. It's a lot of, you know, some of it's pretty strange canceling. This is, this is all a joke here. But I heard about some Christmas carols that got canceled this year. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I'm sorry, it's too insensitive to the hearing impaired. I saw three ships. Got to think about the blind folks, people. God rescue, God rescue merry gentlemen. I'm sorry, this encourages chauvinism. Oh, Christmas tree, this represents the tragic destruction of our ecological treasures. Sorry, it's got to go. White Christmas. I'm sorry, if I need to explain this to you, it means you're a racist. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. Our culture canceled the true Jesus of Christmas a long, long time ago. The polarizing impact of Jesus' ministry was foretold from the beginning of his life. What is revealed by a person's response to Jesus reveals the condition of their own thoughts and their own hearts. This was told eight days after his birth. Maybe you can identify with Kevin from Home Alone this year at your Christmas gatherings. Another Christmas in the trenches. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any Christmas cards this year with the statement, a sword will pierce through your own soul. But that is the unexpected wrapping that God's unimaginable gift of our Savior came in. Receive God's deep wisdom wrapped in the deep pain often involves bringing the most grieving pain. Mary was told, a sword will pierce through your own soul. I don't know if there's a deeper pain that could be described here. When he says a sword will pierce, he's talking about the Greek word here means a large sword, such as the one that the giant Goliath used. And the verb talks about a constant, repetitive, continuous piercing of her soul. Mary's grief would be like a sword piercing her very soul. Jesus warned that how people respond to him will affect our relationships. And this is describing much of this to Mary. He says in Matthew 10, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have come. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And this is because Jesus claims, his claims are an unimaginable idea that he alone brings salvation. And rejecting him means an eternity in hell. That's not very appealing to people. But it's the truth. A person's rejection of Christ can cause the greatest pain for those who love them. 
You know, I've traveled several times to Mexico, about three times to Albania, twice to Liberia. And as I've shared with you before, one of the, one of the things that I am amazed with the most is that I can meet and visit with a fellow follower of Christ in one of these cultures that is completely foreign to me. And within a short amount of time, I can have a deeper connection with them than my own blood relatives, my own family members that are unconverted. Because the Holy Spirit in them connects with the Holy Spirit in me. And in the same way, it is so grieving to be able to not, to not have that connection with my very blood who doesn't know Christ. With every rejection of her son as the Messiah, Mary would suffer. But the deepest pain would come when she would weep at the foot of his cross. Yet that would be the greatest, when the greatest blessing would be purchased. God's unimaginable gift wrapped in unexpected wrapping. In the same way, God's unimaginable blessing of a saving relationship with him comes with the deepest pain of separation from friends and family that are unconverted. The fact is, it is eternally greater to be in relationship with God, yet separated from unconverted family, rather than to be united with my unconverted family members, yet separated from God. Your Christmas may be revealing what you've lost since last year. It may remind you of the brokenness of your family. Know that God never allows for these things to go without his greater purposes. He's always working for his glory and for the good of his children at the same time. Let's bow our heads together.